Friends, during World War II, England needed to increase its coal production if it was going to remain strong enough as a country to secure the ultimate victory. And so Prime Minister Winston Churchill called together the labor leaders of the coal industry to enlist their support and to try to motivate them to an increased coal production nationwide. Well, at the end of his presentation as a means of inspiring these men, Winston Churchill asked these leaders of the coal industry, he asked them to picture in their mind's eye a parade. A parade that would be held at the end of the war. First, Churchill said, first in the parade would come the British sailors who had kept the vital sea lanes open. Following the sailors would then come the British soldiers who had made it home from Dunkirk and then went off to defeat the Nazis in Africa. After them would come the British pilots who drove the German Air Force out of the sky. And last of all, Churchill said, last of all would come a long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked British men wearing their miners' caps. And someone would cry out of the crowd, and where were you during the days of our vital struggle? And from 10,000 voices, the miners would answer, we were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. You see, family, Winston Churchill knew that in order for England and in order for the Allies to lay hold of the victory, there would have to be hardworking, dedicated, selfless servants who would labor in obscurity. They would labor in the darkness, never getting the spotlight, but nevertheless contributing to the triumph by serving in the shadows. Friends, here on this special Outreach Sunday, where we are preparing for our Church in the Park event, this morning we're going to look at one of Jesus' disciples. One of the disciples who never clamored for the spotlight, but who nonetheless made an invaluable contribution to the cause of Christ and to the advancement of the gospel across the globe. This man was a disciple who spent his adult life ministering in the shadows of his brother's prominence. And even though this man's name is often overlooked and undervalued, he was nevertheless a vital part of Jesus' gospel mission to the world. Family, today I want us to make a little biographical study of this man, Andrew. And we'll look at Andrew today, friends, in this message that I've entitled, Andrew Always Bringing People to Jesus. Christian friends, in Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew 10, verses 1 through 4, the Bible gives us a list, a list of the 12 men that Jesus handpicked to be his disciples. Ultimately, out of that group, all of them would go on to become the apostles of Jesus, minus Judas Iscariot. Now, out of the original 12, the first subgroup, the first group of four names were, were Jesus' innermost circle. And it was two sets of brothers, two sets of brothers in Jesus' innermost circle. All four of them were friends. They were all fishermen. They were from the same town of Capernaum. They're on the Sea of Galilee, and you know their names, Peter and Andrew, James and John. Family, without a doubt, Andrew is the least 
known of those four disciples of Jesus' innermost group. Of course, everybody remembers Peter. Peter was the brash, outspoken leader. James and John, everybody knows their names. They were the sons of thunder. But what about Andrew? Andrew always seems to be the guy in the background. He's present, but not provocative. He's dedicated, but not domineering. Family, not much is recorded in God's Word about Andrew. However, what is recorded in Scripture is so encouraging for our lives. Friends, whenever we encounter Andrew in the Word of God, we meet a godly man who is thoughtful. He's people-friendly. He's willing to serve in the shadows for the greater good. He's a lot like those British miners with their face to the coal. Family, we're going to turn our attention this morning a little bit to the life of Andrew. And so I hope you'll take your Bible and let's go this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And there's so much encouragement that is here for our lives today. You know, friends, how few of us, how few of us in service to Christ will ever be a Peter? Upfront, outspoken, loud, a leader, directing, providing leadership. No, no, most of us, most of us more readily identify with Andrew. Andrew is the man who serves faithfully behind the scenes. He cares more about the work that's being accomplished than about the notoriety of the worker. Now, family, not all the jobs in the church of Jesus Christ are glamorous. Not all the jobs come with glamour or notoriety, but it is most often those people serving in the shadows, the people serving in the darkness with their face to the coal. It is those people who often make the greatest difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. And friends, that's why it's a worthy study to consider this man, Andrew. There's so much encouragement here. There's so much inspiration for our own everyday Christian lives from the biography of this man, Andrew. So friends, as we look at Scripture this morning, what is it about Andrew that makes him such a model worth emulating? In what ways should you and I seek to be like Andrew? Well, friends, if you're taking some notes, I hope you'll jot some of these thoughts down. Here's number one. As we talk about Andrew this morning, number one, he had a tremendous passion to follow Christ. Number one, he had a tremendous passion to follow Christ. Let's look here in John, John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 35 through 40. Let's see what Scripture says. Again, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus... As he walked, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, 
Simon Peter's brother. Now, Christian friends, here in John 1, in verses 35 to 40, this is where we're introduced to Andrew when he meets Jesus Christ for the very first time. Both Peter and Andrew were these brothers. They were involved in this family fishing business there on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And they were very close friends with another set of brothers who were also fishermen in that region, and that was James and John. James and John also were involved in a family fishing business with their dad, whose name was Zebedee. Well, from what we read here in the Gospel of John, it seems at some point, at some point, Andrew uh, took a little sabbatical from his fishing business, and he went to go investigate the preaching and the ministry of John the Baptist there out in the wilderness. Now, you'll remember the ministry of John the Baptist was very purposeful. John the Baptist's ministry, his ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. He was the forerunner to get people ready to look forward to the Messiah, to call people to repentance and to get them ready for when Messiah would come. Well, did you notice verses 35 and 37, the gospel author writes that when John the Baptist points out Jesus Christ and says, there he is, the Lamb of God, the promised Messiah. Did you notice Andrew and John turn and begin to go and follow after Jesus? Well, Jesus sees them following him. He turns and he says, what do you seek? What do you want? What are you looking for? And their response is, teacher, where are you staying? Now, friends, listen, this question where are you staying? This is a lot more than just where are you sleeping tonight? You know, where's your apartment? Where are you, where are you staying? It's more than that. This, by this question, Andrew and John, they're expressing their desire to want to spend some time with Jesus. They want to connect with him. They want to get to know him. They want to examine him. And they, want to, they want to ask some questions in light of the ministry that they had just had under John the Baptist. John the Baptist was all about, get ready, get ready, the Messiah is coming. Well, here he is. Well, we want to talk to him. We want to know him. We want to connect with him. Well, verse 39, Jesus says, come on, come and see. And scripture says that they spend the rest of the day with Jesus. You know, it's interesting, family. The author of this gospel, did you notice this? Records the exact time of day. Did you see that? When the two men went to follow Jesus. It was exactly, he says, the 10th hour. Now, according to Jewish timekeeping, that's 4 p.m. 4 p.m. Now, look at verse 40. Verse 40 clearly identifies one of the two men who follow Jesus, one of the men's identified. It's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, the second disciple who followed is not named. Isn't that interesting? He's not named, but I'm convinced and most Bible scholars are convinced that the second unnamed man is John, the writer of this gospel. Most of the time, John keeps himself hidden until the very end of the book. But most Bible scholars are convinced that John is this second man. And how do we know that? Because he was so impacted by this meeting with Jesus, he even remembered the exact time of day. He knew the very hour that he met Jesus for the first time. Family, here's this man, Andrew. And we find in Andrew a man with a passion to follow Jesus Christ. 
John the Baptist had been preaching about the coming Messiah, preaching about the one who would come, and now when Andrew finally meets him, when Andrew sees there's Jesus, there's the Messiah, did you notice Andrew did not merely just go, hmm, that's interesting. He did not merely make a mental note. He did not mark it in his journal. Scripture says he looked at John, and John looked at him, and they said, we got to go follow that guy. And they went after Jesus to meet him, to connect with him. They wanted to know him. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to learn all they could about this Messiah. Family, can you imagine what it must have been like to sit with Jesus all by yourself? Just, just three of you, you and your friend and Jesus. Let that soak in. What, what was that little get-together like? Just to sit there and talk with Jesus. Sometimes I wonder, what did Jesus' voice sound like? Was it a deep voice? Was it a higher voice, a middle voice? What was it like? They knew. They could tell you. They knew what Jesus looked like. They knew his skin color, hair color. They heard his voice. They had all afternoon with him, even into the evening hours. What would it have been like to sit there to be with Jesus, to hear him teach, to hear him talk to you about spiritual things, the things of God, God's kingdom. That's what Andrew got to do. And to enjoy this, this close, intimate fellowship with Jesus. And why did it happen? It happened because he had a passion to follow the Messiah. He had a passion to follow Jesus you know, friends, it's an interesting fact of church history. The early Christians referred to Andrew, they often nicknamed Andrew as Andrew the First Called. Andrew the First Called. Now, he would not be officially called by Jesus until later on in Matthew 4, when Jesus comes to him and Peter and says, Come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. But listen, this event here that we're talking about in this moment this first encounter with Jesus, listen to me, this changed everything. This changed Andrew's life. Not only did he meet Jesus here, but he got to make contact with him. Got to fellowship with him, talk to him, examine him closely. And here's where he learned, this man is Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's sent from heaven. He's the one that's going to, to be our redeemer. He's the one that's going to save us, bring our redemption. And family, I think it's just amazing. By the conclusion of this, this evening, Andrew and John, they knew they would be followers of Jesus. Friend, let me talk to you for just a moment this morning. Can you say in your heart, friend, that you know Jesus Christ? Can you honestly say this morning that you know Jesus as your Savior? I want to ask you this morning, has there ever been a time in your life where you have drawn close to the person of Jesus? Have you examined Jesus? Have you learned of Him? Have you believed on Him? Have you put your trust in Jesus for salvation? Oh friend, let me tell you, don't you dare look to a pastor. Don't you look to a pastor. Don't you look to a priest. Don't you look to a pope for salvation. Friend, as a pastor, my job is to point you in one direction. It's to Jesus Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus. 
Jesus alone brings salvation. So friend, I would ask you, have you believed on Jesus? Have you believed like Andrew believed? To believe on Jesus. Look in your notes I gave you in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen, if you want to follow Christ, the Bible says step one is to turn from your sin, to acknowledge your sins, to confess your sins, to repent over your sins, be broken about your sins, be humbled that you're a sinner and that you need to look to Christ for forgiveness of sins. Friend, look, if you've never done that, I pray today is the day you meet Jesus. That today is the day you have that relationship with Christ by confessing your sin and looking to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive his gift of eternal life. Friend, let me tell you, once you meet Jesus... Just like Andrew, your life will never be the same. Christians, here's a reminder for us, a great reminder for us Christians of the joy and the excitement of following Jesus. Are you excited to be a follower of Jesus? Does that excite you? I mean, does that put a little zing in your step that you follow Jesus? I mean, that's exciting. That's, that's a joy. This isn't something that we just did once. Oh yeah, back then I became a follower of Jesus. What about now? You're still following Jesus. You're still passionately pursuing Him. It's not just once. It's not just then. It's not just on Sundays. It's every day. Every day we are passionately in the pursuit of Jesus. Listen, when we see a passion like Andrew... That passion to follow after Jesus, well, that ought to stir us. That ought to stir my apathy. That ought to stir your coldness and ought to give us fresh life to follow Jesus anew. Follow him with zeal. Follow Jesus with enthusiasm. Now, let me show you a second part of Andrew's personality here that's so encouraging, so inspiring. Number two, number two, he had a burning desire to bring others to Christ. Number two, he had a burning desire to bring others to Christ. Look again at our text here. We're in John 1, and I'm going to read from verse 40 again, uh, down through verse 42. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ. Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone or a rock. Now family, I mentioned a few moments ago that although scripture doesn't have a whole lot to say about this man Andrew, what we do have in scripture about Andrew is so encouraging. It's so inspiring, and this passage is no exception. Andrew and John, they spend the late afternoon into the early evening hours with Jesus. They know him. They become acquainted with him. 
They are convinced that he is indeed the Messiah that John the Baptist had been preaching about. Everything that was there in the Old Testament scriptures about this Messiah who would come. Here he is. It's Jesus. Well, family, look at verse 41. Verse 41, what is the very first thing that Andrew does with his newfound belief in Jesus? The Bible says, what did he do first? He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him of this incredible meeting with Jesus. This news about Jesus, it was so exciting. It was so amazing. It was so incredible. It was so life-changing to, to meet Jesus. It was so life-changing. He couldn't keep it to himself. Family, I think there's one verse in this section that you better underline in your Bible. And it's that first phrase of verse 42. Here it is. And he brought him to Jesus. Friend, you underline that. You put a star by that. And he brought him to Jesus. What happens? Well, you and I know the rest of the story. Here is Simon, Andrew's brother. He brings him to Jesus. And Christ says, from now on, I will call you Cephas. I will call you the rock. And of course, Peter, too, believes on Jesus. He becomes one of the great leaders of the early church. Becomes the foremost leader of the apostles. Family, what an incredible lesson you and I can take away here from the life of Andrew. Was Andrew this outspoken, charismatic leader? No. Was he this dynamic public speaker? No. Don't think so. But guess what? Andrew had a love for Jesus, and he had a love for people. He had a burning desire to bring some people to meet Jesus. And time and again in the scriptures, that's what we see Andrew doing. Again and again in the Gospels, we see Andrew doing what he's doing right here. He just brings people to Jesus. You know, family, just a few chapters later in this same Gospel, you remember Jesus is preaching to this vast crowd, 5,000 men and all of their families, and it starts to get late in the day, right? And everybody's hungry, and everybody's stomachs are growling. And so Jesus tells his disciples, man, we got to feed these people. we got to give them something. Well, seeing the masses, I mean, here's all these people, massive amounts of people. And you remember Philip says, man, if we had eight months' pay, we couldn't feed these people. Eight, eight months of our paychecks wouldn't give all these people a, a bite to nibble on. But then in John chapter 6, verse 8, who comes walking up to Jesus? It's Andrew. Andrew finds this little boy with five barley loaves and two fish. And what does he do with this little boy? He brings him to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I found this little boy. I brought him to you. He's got some stuff. Well, you know what happens. This seemingly little insignificant lunch, Jesus performs a mighty miracle and feeds 5,000. Why? How did it happen? All because Andrew brings someone to Jesus. It happens again. John chapter 12. John 12, there's some Greeks. There's some Greeks who want to meet Jesus. They want to talk to Jesus. These Greeks come and they, they get Philip's ear and they say, Hey, 
We want to talk to Jesus. Can you, can you get us an audience with Jesus? And the Bible says in John 12, verse 22, that Philip brings them to Andrew. Isn't that amazing? I find that fascinating. Philip was a disciple. Philip was a disciple. Yet he brings all those Greeks who want to meet Jesus, he brings them to Andrew. Why? Andrew had a knack for just bringing people to Jesus. Family, here's the point I want you to see. Never once in Scripture do you see Andrew, the mighty preacher. You never see Andrew preaching to the crowds. Never once do you see Andrew standing up, being a public speaker. Yet he made such an impact. Why? He could reach individuals. He could reach individuals. I want you to think about the thousands of souls that Peter preached to on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, right? The birthday of the church. And Peter's preaching the good news about Jesus. And scripture says on that day, 3,000 people believe on Jesus. 3,000 people under one sermon become Christians. 3,000 people get led to Christ by Peter. Oh yeah, by the way, Andrew was the one who led Peter to Jesus. Those 3,000 people wouldn't have been reached by Peter if Andrew had not reached Peter first. Listen, Christian, you may never reach masses and masses of people, but you might reach one, you might reach two, and you just never know what Jesus is going to do from there. Listen, throughout history, throughout history, there have been Christian leaders, powerful preachers, world shakers who were led to Christ by relatively unknown people. And Peter and Andrew, that's one very good example. Peter would not have been what he was without Andrew first leading him to Christ. How many of us this morning have ever heard the name of D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody? He was a famous evangelist, traveled and preached around the world in the late 1800s on both sides of the Atlantic. Moody led thousands and thousands of people to Christ. After his preaching ministry, Moody also started a Bible institute that still exists today, Moody Bible Institute, and there's Moody Global Ministries. Man, this man's ministry was amazing. But how many of us know the name of Ed Kimball? Ed Kimball was the Sunday school teacher who led Moody to Christ. Kimball had a heartbeat for people. Moody was just a young guy. He was working in a shoe store. He was a stock guy. He was just a kid, like 17, 18, 19 years old. And Kimball said, man, I, I just want to share Christ with this young man. And he was really nervous about it. He wasn't sure if he could work up the courage, but finally he did. He went into the shoe store where Moody worked and went back in the back room, and Moody was back there stocking shelves. And Edward Kimball shared the news of Jesus Christ. And Moody became a Christian, and history takes it from there. Family, so often you'll hear me quote in this pulpit about my favorite preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon is probably the most legendary preacher to ever walk on this planet after Jesus and the Apostle Paul. You'd have to put Spurgeon right up there. Spurgeon preached thousands and thousands every week in London with no microphone. History is called Spurgeon the Prince of Preachers, yet few people know how Spurgeon ever came to Christ. 
He was just 15 years old. It was a snowy winter morning, Sunday, January 6th, 1850. Spurgeon was going to his grandfather's church where his granddad was a pastor. It was in Colchester, England. That's where he was supposed to be going, and he tried to get there, but the snow was coming down so hard. It was so severe, he knew he wouldn't make it. And the clock was ticking. He said, well, I'm not going to make it. So Spurgeon goes down a side street and went into a church that he'd never gone to before. It was a little primitive Methodist church on Artillery Street. And the congregation that day was so small, and the snow was so bad that morning, even the church's preacher didn't make it to church. So here's all these people kind of sitting around, and is the preacher ever going to show up? And the snow keeps coming down, and it's half full. The auditorium and the service is only half full. Well, what happens? Out of the pew, one of the church members says, well, somebody's got to preach something. So this man rises up out of the pew, and he preaches this little short sermon. Spurgeon would say much later it was a very poor sermon. He said it was badly delivered. But the man gets up, and he opens the Bible, and what the man preaches on for just a few minutes, it was Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And that was his text. And that was his verse. And he just kind of walked through it. Look unto me. Look unto me. You need to look unto Jesus. You need to look to Jesus to be saved. That's what this man was preaching. He wasn't even a real pastor. He was, we don't even know. History, history doesn't even tell us who this man was. Was he a tailor? Was he a, was he a shoemaker? We don't even know. But we know through that message, Charles Spurgeon became a believer. Christian, I'm trying to get through to you this morning about the life of Andrew. You don't have to be this monumental, massive speaker, great dynamic leader. All you need to be is just a fisher of men. Who knows how God's going to use your witness to win someone else to Christ. Most of you listening to this message this morning, you will probably in your lifetimes never stand before an audience even this side. And that's okay. That's all right. God may not have that in mind for you to ever be a speaker or a leader, but certainly God does want you to be his witness. He wants you to reach out to just one or two people in your circle of influence. It's your circle. It's not mine. It's not your neighbor's. It's not your mom or dad's. You have a very unique circle of influence that only you have. And Jesus wants you to reach into that circle with the good news of salvation. So Christian, let me challenge you. How do you measure up today? Do you have a burning desire to bring some people to Jesus? Do you have a heartbeat for lost people who are all around you? Do you care even a little bit to point some wounded souls to the great physician Jesus who can heal them? Jesus healed you can't Jesus heal them too? Of course He can. Friend, do you care about lost people? Do you care to reach out to them with the good news of Jesus? Do you care enough to invite them to an outreach event, like a church in the park event that we're having tonight? Listen, I'm not telling you to go save someone's soul. That's not your job. That's God's job. God does the saving. Our job is to be like an Andrew. Just bring some people to Jesus. Just bring some people to Jesus. He can take it from there. Right? Jesus can take it from there. We see it time and again in the Scriptures. Just bring the people to Jesus. 
Jesus has the truth. Jesus is the way. He's the life. He can take it from there. Family, without a doubt, listen, the church of Jesus Christ across the world, the churches of America, the gospel churches of Hazleton, we need more Christians to develop the heartbeat of Andrew. Bringing people to Jesus. Now, let me show you a third lesson here. A third lesson. It's so encouraging. Number three, he had a humble willingness to serve in the shadows for Christ. Number three, he had a humble willingness to serve in the shadows for Christ. Family, would you turn back with me just a couple pages uh, to Matthew's gospel? Matthew chapter 4. Well, I just want to show you something interesting here, something encouraging. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Let's consider this third point about Andrew having this humble willingness to serve in the shadows. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. Scripture says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. Now, friends, I've already mentioned to you that both Peter and Andrew did not immediately become Jesus' officials, official disciples following that first uh, encounter or that immediate conversion. Initially, Peter and Andrew were intermittently following Jesus while still maintaining their family fishing business. So they're following Jesus, but they're still fishing, and there's kind of this intermittent back and forth at the beginning. But then all that changes in Matthew 4. Jesus comes and calls them, and here's when Scripture says they left their nets this is when they left their family business to full-time follow Jesus. But here's what's so interesting, and I want to point this out to you in Matthew 4.18. Did you see the description of Andrew that we're given? Isn't this interesting? Matthew 4.18, two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother. Family, I want you to see something. I want you to know this. Once Peter came to Christ, once Peter rose up in prominence to be the leader of the Twelve, from that moment on, Andrew becomes universally known as Peter's brother. Six times in the New Testament, Andrew is described as Peter's brother. Imagine that. Imagine your entire Christian life being overshadowed by your outspoken, more renowned brother. Peter, Peter, he was the rock. James and John, they were the sons of thunder. And Andrew, he was Peter's brother. You know, friends, most of us would bristle at that, wouldn't we? We would bristle at the thought of always being identified as someone else's brother I'm sure many of you here this morning have experienced something similar in your own lives. Maybe having to try to live up to or maybe live down the reputation of one of your older siblings. But family, here's what you need to know. Even though Andrew was 
overwhelmingly overshadowed by the pillars, the mighty pillars of Peter, James, and John, Andrew still made a difference for Jesus in the shadows. You know, when you study the Gospels, never once in the Gospels will you see Andrew be confronted for speaking out of turn. You never see Andrew saying something stupid like Peter. You never see him be bold or brash or stepping over the line like James and John do. No, you never see Andrew be rebuked in the Gospels for some heinous misstep or for some awful failure of faith. Now, was Andrew perfect? Well, of course not. He wasn't perfect. He was still part of the whole group of the disciples. He was prone to his mistakes just like the rest of these men. But Andrew is such a great example for us. He's a dynamic example of what it means to serve in the shadows. That you're not a leader, you're not prominent, but you still make a difference for Christ. You make such a contribution to the cause. You're bringing people to Jesus. Friends, what an example this is for you and I this morning. Most of us here today, most of you listening to this message will spend your Christian life as a virtual unknown. History will not remember who you were. Most of us will go down in history so unknown. We will never rise to the fame of an R.C. Sproul. We will never rise as high as a John MacArthur. We will never be known around the world like a Johnny Erickson Tata. But family, here in the life of Andrew, we see a man whose name was made great in heaven. His name wasn't made great here, but his name was made great in heaven. What did he do here? He toiled in the shadows. The shadows with his face to the coal. Family, just like John the Baptist, Andrew had this mindset. I must decrease and he must increase. That's John 3.30. He must increase. I must decrease. That was Andrew's mindset. Remember the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 2? Paul had the same mindset. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. In my speech and my preaching were not persuasive words of human wisdom, but they were words of the Spirit and power that your faith should not be in men, but in the power of God. Christian friends, do you see what you can learn from the life of Andrew? Maybe you're a believer, you're a Christian here this morning, and you are laboring in the shadows, and you're wondering whether all your work is going to come to naught. You're thinking about that Sunday school class that you're in week after week after week, and you wonder where it's going. You're working with all those kids in your Christian character club class. You say, what is going to happen with all this? You're, you're hosting a small group in your home. You're a small group leader, and you're studying, you're working, you're trying to lead this group, and you wonder where it's going. Anywhere. Is it going anywhere? The biblical counseling you're trying to give to that, that friend or that family member, they're really hurting. You're just trying to give gospel truth into their lives. Maybe it's a family member that's really hurting, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying. You're wondering, is it all in vain? Christian, listen, it's not in vain. Andrew is the example of that. Even the smallest efforts can make a mighty difference for the cause of Christ. Who knows? Who knows how God might be using your service to impact eternity? So Christian friend, don't give up. Don't lose heart when you're laboring in the dark, when your face is to the coal. 
Know that your efforts count for Christ. Know that your efforts will be recognized by Christ and only in eternity will the full fruitfulness be known. Christian friends, as we draw to a close today, I hope that you've been challenged with the life and the example of Andrew. There's such tremendous encouragement here, such inspiration that we can learn from this apostle who labored in the darkness Family, I gave you in your notes a great quote from Dr. John MacArthur. MacArthur was right when he said this about Andrew's legacy. Andrew's legacy is the example he left us to show us that in effective ministry, it's often the little things that count. The individual people, the insignificant gifts, the inconspicuous service. You know, family, after you get done with the book of Acts, you know nothing is ever else recorded about Andrew in Scripture. After Acts, his name never appears again in the Bible. But we do know from church history that just like Andrew started out, he spent the rest of his days introducing people to Jesus. You know, there's a tradition in church history that says Andrew was crucified That's how he died. He was crucified after leading a Roman governor's wife to faith in Christ. This governor was infuriated that his bride believed in Jesus. And so this man came and he wanted his wife to recant. Recant your faith in Christ. And she said no, she wouldn't do it. And so the man was so angry he had Andrew crucified on a cross shaped like an X. And history says this Roman governor was so brutal, he didn't even use nails in Andrew's hands. He tied him to the cross with ropes instead in order to prolong his pain and his suffering. But guess what? Even in his dying hours, as he was roped on this X of a cross, guess what? Andrew was still leading people to Jesus. People would walk up to him and Andrew would talk to him and he would implore them to turn to Jesus. Oh, family, if God can use Andrew, he can surely use you and me. No matter how weak we are, no matter how timid we may feel, no matter how unsophisticated we may be, God can use us. God can use you, Christian. Who you are, you and I, we are nothing. We are nothing, but the Savior we proclaim is everything. So believers, let's challenge ourselves today. Let's be challenged to be more proactive, to be more committed, to be more passionate, to bring people to Jesus. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.